Alright, so if you were a bit messed up by the intro, that's fine. Last show, I forgot to add in our little sound bite of the intro. So this show, two intros for you. No, it, don't do there that. There you go. It's too late. Two intros. One is sufficient. I, I don't know. I don't think people are watching the show for the for the fair use sound of a film reel uh, spinning that uh, plays. Well, I got a lot of emails saying, "What the hell? Where's the intro?" I mean, well, I well, I have the same email. I didn't get any emails. I took you off the list. I don't. Why? Well, I just thought you know who. Why? Why do we need two people running the email? Yeah, you know, I'm on. I'm still on the list. There's no emails. Nobody wants. It's just an intro. Nobody. Oh, it's just an. In- oh, it's just a show then. No, but that's not the main part of the show. Oh, so do you put on the original X Men animated series and you just skip the intro? No, because the <laughs> that. That's an original composition. So is ours. Well, I it we I we we it isn't it isn't. It, it, it is it it, it, it isn't is. okay. It is. Anyway, um, we're last not do- show. <laughs> last show, we also forgot to post a picture of Tabasco, oh, uh, Luke's Luke's bird, uh, to show that he looks like. Um, one of the creatures that attacked Barbarella last week when we reviewed the movie. However, um, I've now found that there's another bird in Luke's house named Jalapeno who looks even closer to the budgies we saw in that film. So we'll post a picture of Jalapeno for you guys. Uh, Lucas. What? Sorry? Get a nice pick of Jalapeno. Get his good side. Every You know, Jalapeno was so cute. Every side of him is a good side. And you know what's funny is that Luke doesn't even talk about his own bird tobacco this way. He hates his bird tobacco. Um, Toby. And for seemingly no reason. No, there's a reason. He sucks. He sucks because he's had a hard life and he reacts appropriately to the circumstances, um, to the hand he's been dealt. And you have no compassion. He... I, I've had compassion, okay? I can only be compassionate for so many years before I snap. And I snap for real. You know what? Compassion is going to be a big theme of the show today. Do you know why? No. <laughs> no, me neither. Because I just wanted to use this as a segue to get into the, to the meme potatoes. What are we well, talking about? Well, I don't this want week? to talk about the movie yet. What I want to talk about. What the hell? Well, I know why you don't want to talk about the movie yet. So I'll let you. Yeah, continue, buddy. Last show, we had a cool dynamic twist where we all drank water. And the show before that, we had Maynards. For this show, Matt and I decided we would do something cool and we would get no sleep at all. The day before recording. Um, yes, so... <laughs> Matt stayed up for a bullshit reason. I stayed up so I could get the fire cape in RuneScape. And to all my RuneScape brothers out there, if you have a fire cape, good on you. Why don't you plug your uh, username here so we can so, so you can have some RuneScape friends add you up? Pl- what's, the, what's the username here? I... Uh, 
one day, one day we'll add. add is the this facts. a is this a private affair? Yeah. What's gonna? They're gonna hack you. Well, I got the fire cape, but I don't have the infernal cape, and I don't want people laughing at me. Um. Right. I see. Um. You know. But what? anyways, it's scrappy. Uh. But the A is a four. If you want to add me, yeah. We'll hang out. We'll play some games. I'll be your friend. Yeah, if you want to add me, I have a RuneScape 2. It's uh, PPBoy99. I just started out, but maybe you guys can give me some bonds. Maybe you guys can, you know, those of you who play so much, you know some of the Jagex guys. You can, <laughs> can get me in there, you know. It's not really that fun when you're starting out because you have nothing. But, you know, maybe What game can... do you start out and you have everything? Um, Mario Kart. Yeah, that's a game for babies. RuneScape is a is a game for men. I didn't say have everything. Okay, the, the, there's no game. Games don't give you. The games don't have to give you everything to be fine. It has to give you some stuff. It has to give you you when you play. They games, give you a net and a wooden sword. When what more you do you play need? a game, you want to feel powerful. You yeah, they have give power. you a wooden sword. I can have that. In, I I can buy a more dangerous sword in real life. You can buy a more dangerous sword in the game. But it takes way more time. Yeah, it... <laughs> you know what? Lucas doesn't get it because, I don't know, he has he has a problem with these games. He starts playing the games and he just, he can't stop. And he there's no moderation. There's no regulation. And there's no, let me tell you folks, there's no healthy habits being practiced here. None at all. Whatever. You want to talk about the movie now? <sighs> um. Yeah, we'll save it for the coveted uh, post bag rambling. Yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. It's a it's a staple, and uh, you know that's really what people look for is the outro, not the intro. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. what are we talking about today? We were talking about RuneScape, but I guess now we're, we're talking about... We're not talking about, about that anymore. King Carpenters, They Live. They Live, 1988 classic movie. Mm -hmm. I just found out recently that this movie is actually not... Well, when it came out, it wasn't very well-received, well which is, mm -hmm. of course, a staple of cult films, as yeah. we know on Cult of Personality. But even now, the Metacritic for this movie is 54... Yeah. I know I know Metacritic's kind of a joke for movies or for anything really, but Metacritic and IMDb are kind of joker websites. It only has eleven reviews to be fair, which mm. you know, there's no Rotten Tomatoes. They 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 get a full deck of a professional reviews from professional publications and reputable critics. We're right now just applying to be included there. They haven't returned our calls, but it'll be soon. I promise you guys. Refreshing the emails every day. Every day. They Live is... What's the movie about, Lucas? Do you want, like, a plot summary? I can give... I can give the... I can... Why don't we... I'll just give a brief synopsis. Sure. Synopsis. Because, you know, this movie, it's... It's not, it's not quite mainstream. You know what? It should be noted, and I'll get this out of the way, is that... Most of the listeners here, or perhaps most of the audience, will 
maybe be maybe able to identify they live iconography by the work of Shepherd Fairy. Yep. So basically, if you know him, he's the guy who does obey stuff. He's mm-hmm. also the guy who did the Obama Hope poster and a few other things. But of course, obey is the big thing, especially if you were a kid in the 2010s. Um, that obey logo comes from this movie. Mm-hmm. The little face does not. That's Andre the Giant. That was that was a little mishmash. He's not in the movie, unfortunately. Uh, he could have been cool though. I just looked up Obey and I saw a nice picture of Trump as one of the They Live aliens. And I think I'll buy it. It's a patch that I can sew onto my jean jacket. And that nice. really appeals to me. What you have here is you have this guy and he has no name. He's homeless and he's blonde. And he staggers into some California town one day looking for some employment, which Mm -hmm. he gets. But he starts unraveling this conspiracy. He notices that the church next to the hippie commune that he's staying in has some interesting and perhaps suspicious activity going on. And upon investigation, his big surprise, he finds a big box of sunglasses. Which kickstarts the plot because then we find out, boom, society's been infiltrated by these guys that look like humans with no skin and boiled eggs for eyes. <laughs> and that's, I think that's a good place to start because I, I think we're going to go over the nitty gritty of this film because, you know what, I would say that this, upon watching this movie recently, of course, as one does when they, you know, when they do a show of this nature. You watch the movie recently to get your... Of name, course. To get your recent impressions of the film. Not, you know, mm-hmm. from a year ago. Right. This is a pretty simple movie. I did. I totally forgot about this. We initially saw this at the Park Theater about a year ago. It was a great experience. Everyone was laughing. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. The, the cult movie nights at the Park Theater are always a good time. Can't wait for those to come back, if they come back. When they come back, I was thinking that that would just be the... Whenever we would go see a movie there, we would just review it right after. That's a good idea. Yeah. However, they they do play crap movies. Like, what's that Peter Jackson movie that sucks? King Kong? No, not that one. It's Oh, Dead one. Alive? Yeah, like, we don't... We don't we just don't do that kind of thing here. That's a King movie. I totally forgot about that. We have to no, review that movie. No, it's it's okay. You know, <laughs> just for now, just don't worry about it. What are your what are your thoughts on They Live? Because you know what, you've seen this movie a lot more than I have. I've seen this movie two times now. Um, I enjoyed it a lot both times. But as someone who's seen the film more, and has a bit of a history with the film. What's mm-hmm. your fir- what's your what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of this film? I think it, it like it's really it, it almost feels like the movie was groomed to be a cult film. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to agree with that. But continue. Just like how uh, there are some editing things in the movie that are I, I can't tell if they're supposed to be unintentionally funny or intentionally funny. And then there's like so many good one-liners. I mean, the big one that everyone knows. I've, you know, I come here to kick whatever and, you know, shoot this and that. Um, and then, you know, whatever. 
Um, and <laughs> there's there's action. There's some funny gags all over the movie, and it just and musical choices too. It just feels like it was groomed to be a cult movie, which isn't a, a bad thing at all. It's just it's it's fun to watch. Um, I can't remember the first time I watched it, but there was a period in high school where I was really into Fairy and his art. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I found out about Obey, and then I found out about They Live, and that's how I found the movie. Um, and I've, I've, I've liked it since since then. I think it's, it's just fun. I don't know. I agree. I, I totally agree about the, um, the idea that this is like a, a sort of perfect cult movie. I mean, first off, it's a science fiction action kind of comedy horror movie. Mm-hmm. It it's 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 all it tonally it's it's so different than your typical film of this nature. Yeah. Um, of course, there's the classic six minute uh, brawl scene that happens in the middle of the movie. That I I I I hope I I think to a degree I don't know for sure, but it feels improvised to to a degree. Okay. Um, this movie is very, very good, and I like it quite a bit. So this is going to be this is a little preview for the people who skip uh, all the way to bags. There's going to be a lot <laughs> of bags on this one. This is a good movie, and I want to tell you why. Okay. This movie is simplistic in nature, and last week I criticized THX because the story was simple, uh, and it made me bored. Okay. This is one of the first times um, in a long time that we've I've watched a movie for the show and there isn't a boring second in this movie it's all engaging so as soon as the drifter comes into town the protagonist of the film is not um given a name at all sorry do, do you remember what his name was in the credits it was uh it was nada right nada yes and which is so funny which means nothing uh yeah so um he he rolls into town and i mean the first shot of this film is great and that's how you know that's how you know the movie's going to be good it's got that it gave me that dawn of the dead feeling i love the first shot so much it shows john carpenter's they live and the they live is scrawled and sort of handwriting type font and mm-hmm. then it fades out onto this graffitied wall where it's just they the they live blends in with everything else and then it scrolls over shows it's on the railway tracks and Nada comes on, and he's walking into town. The big thing about this movie thematically is that John Carpenter wrote it to be very anti-capitalist. Yes, I don't think he, I don't think he's a big fan of big business and corporation. Uh, and I also think he hates TV. Yes, <laughs> with a passion. Yeah, I don't know. I, does this guy know that TV is just movies, uh, but at home? What, from what I've read, American television and like Canadian television too is like really different from the rest of the world, where we are just like cucked by ads for the majority of the time. Look, guys, they gotta sell stuff. All right, <laughs> if I got a business, where am I? Where am I gonna put my ad instead? Mm, I don't know. He's not a big fan of advertising either. Um, I also don't think he likes people who work at the bank because a lot of them die in this movie. <laughs> the movie, though, 
it has this undercurrent of undercapitalism. That's the big thematic elephant. Because what you have here is that you have these aliens from a different dimension or a different planet of some sort. They're never quite named. They're just others. Yeah. Of course, when Nada acquires glasses later in the film that allow him to see, he sees them as these horrible bug-like creatures that are like half-human, uh, like half-human exoskeleton, half um, spider thing. I don't know. They're so weird. They're gross. Actually, it's kind of hard to look at them, and I, I'm going to give kudos to the makeup department on this. Of course, John Cobbridge is known for his effects and stuff with Thing and such. And yeah. there isn't actually a ton of special effects in this besides your typical firefight stuff or uh, a couple of CGI elements. But for the most part, I would say most of the effects are done whenever they put on these glasses. They get this black and white vision of the world. And whenever they put on the black and white filter and you see the aliens through this lens, it gives us such an uncanny feeling. Yeah. Uh, and it's very interesting. And I can't. And it's hard to picture why it's hard to see, but it's like you're seeing the world... I, John Carpenter himself actually said he wanted to put that the, the reason that the glasses are put on and you see the world in black and white um, is just because it's meant to be sort of uh, a, a vision of ideology, right? Like you put on and now you see the ide- the ideology hidden within everything that yeah. happens. Um, and then this movie, they they do that excellently. But it's not a big focus of the film to the point where it's a detriment. I would say for the most part, this is like a sci-fi action movie, predominantly. There's quite a few. There's a big fight scene, which we'll talk about. Uh, there's firefights and everything. There's also It's also a quite suspenseful film. And this is a good time to talk about the score, which I like a lot. Da-da-da-da-da. So it's done, and this was uh, interesting to me. I didn't notice that this the first time, but this was... Um, it was part done by John Carpenter himself, who mm-hmm. I just found out uh, is also a composer, along with Alan Howarth. The score in this, there's no big orchestral piece like in a John Williams film or such like that. It's really like it's it's really just very simple, you know, bars of music repeated over and over, and it feels like a little bit of guitar improv. Of course, the classic theme, as he just said, is. And this is featured predominantly in the beginning of the film, is just this this sort of foreboding, like this this music that gives this sense of foreboding and a foreboding and something that's like gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And and as you say, it's like na na na, and then it's like and there'll be like a rattle or something. It's very yeah, atmospheric. But... No, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was just gonna say, but like that's kind of. It's kind of like a John Carpenter staple, almost. Like, if you watch The Thing, it has pretty much one sort of foreboding song that they play over and over again, and then they have other ones. And then even with Halloween, they have that one little piano riff or whatever. And I forget if they did that uh, in Big Trouble in Little China, uh, but I'm sure they did in that as well. No, but uh, the score is excellent. It's... It's it's rare that a score for uh, that a score for a film enhances the movie to the degree it does in this one. I mm-hmm. really think it's great. It's not the kind of thing that you're gonna buy the uh, CD of and blast in your car, right? You, uh, unless you want your life to feel like a movie. <laughs> but it works so well, um, and it's executed at just the right beats of 
each given scene of a film um, that it makes sense that Carpenter um, actually scored the film because I'm assuming he because he also wrote the film. Uh, for some reason, he credits his name as Frank Armitage, which is the which is um, Keith David character in the film. I don't know what that is about. Hmm. Um, but let's talk about characters in this movie. Not as the big one. People, when I was looking back at reviews for this film, people have uh, at the time, people were not very um, appreciative of Roddy Piper's performance as not a. Um, because he came off a bit robotic. But to me, he comes off as like, and this is very, like, this is very, um, there's a lot of forethought here because, I mean, this is late 80s. But it feels to me that John Carpenter is doing a sort of parody of the action movie. Yeah. He's got he's got this drifter in. He doesn't give it a name. And that's, I think that's purpose, purposeful because you can see it as a sort of thing where the protagonist, you know, their identity doesn't matter. They're just a protagonist protagonist or like the sort of thing where you're supposed to project yourself onto them he sort of stumbles about squints a lot he's a he's a really big guy uh i've just found out roddy piper is a wrestler uh and he and he got the role from john carpenter seeing him wrestle but my one of my favorite thing about this film is his delivery of all his lines it's so curt um and dry and they always leave a pause after he says something and a lot of the times he's saying typical dialogue stuff but he does have a number of one-liners in this film one of my favorite moments in this movie is when frank who is um nada's co-worker after nada and him have had their big fight scene and they retreat to a hotel after nada has revealed the secret of the aliens to him he tells this story, and this to me was the mo- the exact moment I knew this was supposed to be satirical. And it's the classic moment where the protagonist in towards the middle of the movie are in a secluded area, and they begin to tell a story. Yes. And he tells this story about how his dad used to like beat him all the time, and how he used to hold a gun, up, or uh, not a gun's pardon, a, ni- a razor blade up to his neck and threaten him. And the whole thing is punctuated and it's done almost entirely, I think, just to serve as this line, which comes at the end. Keith David says something to the effect of, uh, I don't know, maybe they just still like to see us hate each other. Uh, it, us, uh, them referring to the aliens. And Nada says, well, that may be so, but I'm not daddy's little boy anymore. <laughs> and it's so good. It's, it's a we- it's a weirdly conscious um, parody of hor- of uh, action movies. Considering that this was the late eighties, this feels like something that would come out like in the nineties or even two thousands. It, it it almost reminded me of Team America World World Police if you've seen that, which is a pretty mm-hmm. decent satire of action films as well. But the one liners in this, as cheesy as they are, deliberately uh, they're great. The Chew Bubblegum one is great. Um, you know what's my favorite one? What? Where uh, him and what's his name Frank? Frank. I'm so bad with character names. Where they are talking and it's like towards the beginning of the movie, and um, Frank says something like, "I walk my own path. I walk a straight. I walk on the white line, and I don't deviate from it or whatever." And then Nada just turns to him and he's like, "The white line is in the middle of the road. It's the worst place to walk." <laughs> And he just, and the other guy looks like baffled. And there, there's so many great instances of that. At one point, at one point, um, 
Frank offers to take uh, the Nada, who's new into town, to the commune that we see later in the film. And as Nada follows him, uh, Frank says, I don't like a man following me when I don't know why. Um, and, and then he retorts, um, well, I don't like to follow anybody without knowing where they're going. Mm-hmm. And just the back and forth there, and there's great chemistry. I found out that John Carpenter wrote the role specifically for Keith David in this movie, who's also in The Thing. Um, he he serves a there as a sidekick character. He's he's very different than the norm because he's sort of um, he's not as equal, um, and he and of course takes him a little bit to town in the fight scene. It's a pretty even fight, but uh, he 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 gets a few dirty hits in there. Mm-hmm. It was hard to watch, honestly, when he nails him in the balls with his knee, like maybe six or seven times in the row, <laughs> in an alleyway. Uh, I, I I don't know if they're they could have a friendship after that. I don't know if that's the kind of thing you recover from. No, and but uh, going back to the financial aspects of the film, thematically it's great. I love like the stuff in the beginning that just sort of setting up. The first act of this film is has basically no science fiction element. It's just following this drifter, and it's really an examination, I guess, of like blue collar America. Mm-hmm. Frank Frank reveals to him that he has a wife and kid back home uh, that he hasn't seen in six months because he's out here doing work. He got laid off by a steel company, and he and as he says. We bailed out the steel companies, and all they did was uh, make themselves richer. Yeah, the they gold... gave themselves raises. Yeah, the golden rule is he who has the gold makes the rules. Yeah, the movie is, is entirely, entirely anti-capitalist. One thing that pisses me off outside of this movie, but still attached to this movie, is this fake woke fan base um, who take this movie at what they think is face value as in their literal aliens or lizard people <laughs> ruling or Jews or whatever ruling the world, um, which is so not the case. What I think the analogy of this movie is, is that, or how should I phrase this? One thing that's really great about sci- science fiction is that you can make real world things through the lens of science fiction to the point where people are like, wow, this is really weird. And then you think, oh, wait, this is real life. And because it's science fiction, it then amplifies how strange real life is. And in this movie, the aliens basically are the bourgeois and, or the bourgeoisie or whatever it is. And the state really. And, it's and then the point of the movie to me then is isn't it so weird that this minority group of aliens but in real life would be the bourgeois are ruling the world and controlling the working class and i don't think necessarily it has to do with subliminal messaging which i mean we can go back and forth if that is the case but ruling them regardless uh, at the beginning of the movie uh, when Nada goes to apply for a job, he talks to this woman at the employment office who we never find out, but I'm going to assume that she's an alien. You know, um, that's that's a that's a good theory, I would say, he, that the lady yeah. denies him employment. 
Yeah, like she, and when he's telling his story, he's like, I worked at this place for 10 years and I got laid off. I've just been trying to find a job. And then she kind of rolls her eyes and she's like, yeah, we, we have nothing for you right now. I don't even think she bothered to look really. Um, but yeah, I'm assuming she's an alien too. And yes, it is very anti TV and anti commercialism. Like, and there's this, and it's, they played off as funny, but I think the message was genuine. Like there's this one scene where they're at their kind of hippie commune where there's this older guy just watching the TV and he's just watching a commercial for press on fake nails as if he would ever be interested in that but he's enraptured by it anyway yeah and then there's there's so many clips of people watching tv where there's like an actress on tv talking about how great it is to be a star and how she loves to be on tv and like at the beginning of the of the movie not as walking down the streets and then there's just a dude i've never seen these but there's just a dude staring at this shop where they have a bunch of tvs in the window and he's just like loving every second of it i guess he's like in a trance looking at the tv and and this dude looks like prince <laughs> he does i i like stopped watching tv when i was very young because i got very pissed off with like the commercials all the time and it is mm. strange to me seeing like people who watch cable television and they sit there watching two minutes of the show then five minutes of commercials, then the, the show comes back, and then there's 30 seconds of catch-up, and then a, a minute and a half of the actual show, and then they're back to commercials about jackpot lottery tickets or whatever. Uh, it is very anti-commercial uh, commercialism as well, which, is, which I like. Um, one thing that I wanted more from this movie is at the end, they get into the science fiction aspects of it, but they kind of brush over it where I wish they would have showed a bit more. Mm -hmm. Like there's just one, like there's one scene where they have this, these flying probes just driving around and then nothing ever really comes of those guys again. Yeah. Those were, those were weird. Um, but I, I do really like the science fiction stuff. I love the uncanny look of, like you said, when he puts on the glasses and he sees things in black and white and the effect is so cool too. You know, when he's looking at money and then he puts on the glasses and then the money just says, like, this is your god now. And he takes them off and just flashing between that black and white shot. I I I love that, too. And normally that kind of thing would put me off because it's it's like wearing your symbolism and your thematic elements on your sleeve. But there's something about this film where it still resonates regardless because there's a lot of truth in what's being said, regardless of how tired it may be at this stage um in you know media we've heard i i like to think this film has influenced a lot of anti-capitalist media at the time especially because given at the time this would have been at the peak of reaganomics when everybody's really gung-ho about uh money in america and and blah 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 and you know what wasn't there a line was it that in they live where they're like talking about like the shitty reagan movie that they just saw or was that no? Never mind. That was something else. Never mind. Yeah, I think that was something. I think that was something else. But that would, that would have been a nice addition to the film. I that was any. Airplane, which I watched yesterday. Oh yeah, wow! Another good, another classic cult movie, which we'll be giving <laughs> five bags each uh, at some point. But yeah, you know the movie is done well. One of the thing that I like about this movie is that 
it's one of the rare films where it's you could describe it almost as understated where there's a lot of people walking around there's a lot of establishing shots there's a lot of shots of just them recuperating or waiting or blah 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 but I don't know if it's the atmosphere I don't know if it's the cinematography or the music or some combination of it both but it's all engaging mm-hmm. and this movie I think is perfectly paced it's about an hour and 33 minutes or so yeah. Um, and there's no fat in this in the sense that there's nothing that you can really point at and say this should be cut from the film or this could have been reduced. All the storytelling done in this film uh, is is very clean, it's very direct, and it's very, very concise in what it's trying to convey. Um, and that's something that you, I really appreciate because, you know, it feels like a lot of the time, especially with cult movies, some of them are a bit weird, right, mm-hmm. given the nature of cult movies. And a lot of the times, there's some stuff that just doesn't work or just falls flat. This is the rare cult movie for me that is stunning all the way through. This is Dawn of the Dead level for me. I might have, I, I might have a hot take for you then. Hot take. Um, there's one character in this movie that I really don't like. I know which character you don't like, and I'm gonna, I wanna talk about it even before you do. Do you know who I'm talking about? It has to be Holly. Yeah. Yeah, so Holly's in this film. I agree that to... Uh, I think she is... She tends to be a bit superfluous. Basically, after um, after Dada discovers that the aliens are taking over due to the sunglasses, he's on the run because the police force has been infiltrated by them, of course. He takes a random woman, a woman hostage in a parking garage, and her name happens to be Holly Thompson. Mm-hmm. Um, she forces he forces her to take her take him to her apartment, um, and there's a great there's a great shot where he lets his guard down at one point to turn on the TV as he's explaining his theory to her, and she's holding a bottle of wine. She does a three sixty <laughs> smack. No, I love this so much. She does a three. She's like a ninja in this. She does a three sixty smashes the bottle across the back of his head and then while he's stunned she just pushes this guy out of like a 10-story window yes and he falls down and then she just gets on the phone and calmly calm calmly calls the police that was one of my favorite moments of the film um i agree that holly i guess sort of plays the romantic interest in this film there's very little romance in this the only the only instance you could say is that towards the end of the film when they're in the police when they're in the uh, cable station looking to take down the big tower that transmits the blinding uh, emissions to the people of the world at, at this cable station in which Holly works. He, he, he seems to be looking for her everywhere for no particular reason, even though they met uh, at two, like two times. But mm-hmm. I want to hear why you don't like her particularly. I, I just think her acting kind of sucks, but maybe that was just how she was directed, but she is so monotone and slow that really, I, I feel like every time that she's on, I don't even care about like the pseudo love story, that isn't an issue for me, but just every time that she's on screen, other than that 360 uh, shot there, I, I just feel like she sucks all of like the fun out of the movie, for me at least. Yeah. Um, she, yeah, she's just so, she I don't know, she's... She reminds me of, like, Savick, but I liked Savick from uh, <laughs> Wrath of Khan. Yeah, she kind of looks like Kirstie Alley. There's this one thing about her, and obviously this is nothing to critique, but she has these, like, very piercing... 
cat like, eyes cat eyes and then sometimes a lot of times her eyes are really gr- glassy mm-hmm. and it really makes me scared of her if i saw this woman yeah. in real life i would be quaking in my boots it is interesting perhaps that they i don't know you know it's a it's interesting you say whether it's deliberate or not because you find out towards the end of the film at the very end actually that while she's not an alien, she's collaborating with the aliens. Yes. Um, because we find out that the hu- that the alien coll- uh, the aliens have infiltrated Earth, have been recruiting recruiting humans, pardon, uh, to be part of the elite. They give them huge salaries and big houses and nice cars, uh, and in turn, those people will betray their own people, which of course is more commentary. Uh, to me, that's. The, that's the upper class recruiting the middle class to join them as a middle class, uh, middle class like train. the police force. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a little bit of complicated. I think I said this, or I maybe mentioned this last week, or I may have not. I may have mentioned this to my sister yesterday. I'm a big mess right now because I I can't even see properly. Um, but the John Carpenter sort of addressed the idea that the middle class is shrinking, which is still something that Bernie Sanders likes to talk about now. So this was an even uh, an even more forethinking, an- another forethinking element of the film. Yeah. Um, because it, it's to me, it's the idea, and I think they say that there's more people every there's more poor people every day. So to me, just that element that persisted the film, and that's brought up a couple of times. In fact, the drifter that Luke mentioned earlier who is watching the nail commercial at the hippie commune mm-hmm. uh, turns, it shows up at the alien, uh, alien spaceport later in the film, uh, in a nice suit and, uh, drinking a, champagne, a glass of champagne in his hand as he explains his, uh, his idea to, uh, live the, live the high life by collaborating with the aliens. Mm-hmm. I don't know the, the financial commentary in this film, and I'm not like a particularly like, the ideas of class and economy don't rivet me as much as other themes per se. Okay. Um, but it was really pre- like in this film, it was done in such a way that it's very clear what's being said. And it's almost given up to you to decide what, like obviously in this film, Carpenter is very direct. He, he hates TV and he hates money, but you know, there's an ambiguity in this, you know, the idea that, we all have to get our own and get out, right? And I think they mentioned that earlier in the film. Yeah, Frank uh, has a little spiel about that. Yeah, that we're all out for ourselves. And, you know, at the same time, we have to, if we have to screw other people, that's life, baby. Um, right. I don't know. It's just very socially conscious filmmaking from John Carpenter. And, just, and it's done so deftly. Obviously, at this point in his career, he was pretty experienced. But to my knowledge, he hasn't done anything this politically charged up until this point. Big Trouble is not particularly politically charged. That one's also kind of a treatise on the action movie. Yeah. Um, but they, I guess, I guess you could say, as Siskel and Ebert said in their famous review, that uh, the thing is meant to be an allegory on suspicion and distrust in the Cold War era. Right. But that's for another episode. Um. Yeah. Uh. You like when we looked at THX? That was a sci-fi movie with social commentary but what that movie was really about was showing a world that could possibly exist as a warning to like not go in that direction whereas the they live is really about what we're living in right now mm-hmm. obviously we don't have aliens or whatever 
Um, but we do live in a wagey uh, hell. We do live among capitalist swine who seek to exploit us at every turn. Yes. Yeah. And Carpenter is right, and he's still. And you know what? This movie came out twenty-two years, thirty-two years ago, and it's still the same case right now. Yeah. Le- do you want to talk about? I want to talk about a couple of the characters in this movie because there are not too many, so it'll be easy to touch on. Sure. Um, one of the characters. So we talked about John Nada. Frank is great as as a as a sort of rational. He kind of plays the 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 straight man in this. He just sort of rational, just, like he said. He's just trying to get his get out and provide for his family. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great character in this, played by Raymond Saint Josh, and it's kind of like I don't know if this was the genesis of of this kind of trope but you know how in movies there's always like that preacher that blind preacher who Mm -hmm. who knows a little bit more you even get this in dawn of the dead you get Uh, in rogue one we don't talk about that okay (laughs) you get in you kind of get this in dawn of the dead with the uh with the preacher in the uh the basement in the apartment complex who says Mm -hmm. ah you are stronger than us but they will be stronger than you (laughs) It's not quite the same character, but you have this blind preacher who's who's in the middle of the street, and he's saying, "You must see the light. We are blind." And of course, there's the there's this sort of funny irony that he is blind. I think that was I think this was done like it was a kind of a tongue tongue in cheek character, because then you just you see him talk to Nada, you see him preach, and then he, you see him get beat up by the police. Yeah, and and that's all you see of him. But as a nice little addition to the film, it was it was just it was just a nice touch, as like sort of the the mystic character in this film. There's always like a mystic sort of, you know, character in this. Mm-hmm. Um, Gilbert is plays like the leader of the revolution. He's I'll I'll say that if if Holly Thompson is your pick for people you don't like, I don't particularly like Gilbert. He doesn't add much to the film besides being a a symbol of the revolution. Yeah. Um, and that's basically all the characters in the film. Uh, only like three more are actually credited. Uh, I guess the rest are just extras. But um, hmm. no, it's uh, it's it. I think it's a good idea to keep the character, the cast, the character small. We get a lot. We get to see a lot with Nada and Frank. Not as much with Holly and the others. I really Nada and Frank are the stars of the show, but. I want, like I said, the simplicity of this film is part of the appeal for me. It doesn't, you know, weave a complex web of intrigue or character action, in character interactions. It's very straightforward in its storytelling, but it's an advantage for sure. Yeah, I I kind of went over it earlier, but I just I want to go back to it because I think it's definitely my favorite part of the movie is. I don't know, the last third of it, when they finally get a hold of the alien's little watch device that we see earlier that they used to communicate with each other. Um, mm-hmm. And then they get it, and it can, like, open up portals, and it's the, like, it get, that's where it gets really uncanny for me and just really interesting. Mm-hmm. When they open at this, at the final, or I guess the second last firefight, um, they escape in this portal to their like other dimension base, um, and they open it up. Frank and Nada, or is it no? It's Frank and Nada go in, and they're like fully armed, which is like so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just walking in this like bunker corridor with the poor dude, 
Um, and then they see this, like, banquet hall where all the aliens are there talk and humans talking about, like, Earth's profit, which, like, implies that they're doing this on other planets as well. Right. Um, which is just really interesting. Um, and there's one shot, like, they just kind of, like, they just hand it to you and walk away. But there's a shot where this dude is being beamed, like, across space. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just this business dude, and he's like, oh, I'd like to go to, I forget what he says, like, Mars or something. Yeah. And, he, and they beam him like Scotty. Yeah. And then they just, like, shoot him across space, which is so weird. And then, like, they keep going, and they see, like, the news is being recorded there. And it's just really, really odd. And I, I just love, I love that part. Um, and the, the, the poor dude, I forget, what's his name? Does he have a name? He's not given a name. He's just a drifter. John Car- John Carpenter was, uh, I guess, gave up on naming some of his characters because two of them don't have names, and then one of them is the the, the pen name he used for the script for no reason. Yeah. Well, he has like he has a southern drawl, which just adds to it, which is so funny. And yeah, he's... and and there's just there's little comedic flourishes like that where you'll like just having this like sort of formerly homeless drifter walking about so happy in his uh in his tuxedo and his glass of champagne in his hand there's just some something like intrinsically funny about that and that's a lot of the film for me there's a lot of instances of the humor not being like straightforward but the scenarios given are so funny yeah one thing oh sorry oh no go ahead I was just going to say, one thing that I really like is, like, for the first little bit, Nada is really just a silent and, uh, well, he's a silent and just um, accepting character. Like, he says, like, I believe in the American dream. Yes. I'll I'll get mine one day, because we all will. And then as soon as he gets these glasses, his character changes into, like, an action star and it's so funny. He goes into like the supermarket and he looks at this lady and he's like, lady, you're real fucking ugly. And like his character just completely switches. It's like Ash from Evil Dead to Evil Dead 2. It's so funny. It is funny. And and, and, it's, and I'll, I'll almost say that um, the degree into which he engages in violence is another satire of action <laughs> like- he just becomes a murderous maniac. Because he goes he, to the bank he, and just shoots everyone up. Yeah, he goes to the bank. He he sees some alien, so he just starts shooting <laughs> maniacally. And like obviously, from an inside perspective, we know he's doing this. But even for a given that they're aliens, he's still acting kind of crazy. Just yeah, like he's still murdering shooting. them. Yeah, and I I just try to think like, what if this is just this man's delusion? And I guess this is how. <laughs> That shooters happen because they put on a pair of sunglasses and they go cuckoo crazy. <laughs> but you know, um, you know, and speaking speaking of violence and comedic flourishes, let's talk about the fight scene because okay. I love the scene. People always rank in the top fight scenes. It's so great to watch because it. Well, first of all, it feels very real. Mm-hmm. Um, after Nada is you know flashed on the news as a murderer for murdering people, um, Frank comes to give him his one week's pay. And yeah. Nada demands that he put on these sunglasses because he needs them to see. Um, and they just have this like series of small brawls over the course of like six or seven minutes. And they're just beating the hell out of each other. And it's so funny. It's all done pretty well. In the beginning, you see a couple of punches that don't land. But then the rest of it looks incredibly real. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they're just smashing the hell out of each other. It's so good to watch. It's especially funny, and this is like another one of my favorite moments of the film is that once he puts the glasses on at the end of this big fight, um, and he sees that the aliens are a real thing, they sort of just walk down the street not talking to each other because yes, because they're friends now, but they were like just about to kill each other five minutes ago, and then they check into a hotel. And they come in bloody and bashed and dirty clothes, sweat everywhere, blood on their faces. And Keith David character, Frank, says, I'd like a room, please. And there's just little touches like that that really make this movie so special. John Carpenter really hit the nail on the head uh, on this one for me because to me, there isn't a dull moment. I really like the fight scene, uh, especially... Um, because I guess it is sort of satirical too, where the fight ends like four times, and then they start up again. Like somebody will throw a punch, and then they and then they're <laughs> back to fighting. It's like that's that's what I meant when I said series of small brawls. Yeah, they just it's like on and off fighting, which I guess is more realistic. Um, but instead of being like this uh, amazingly choreographed. A tight three-minute sequence where the victor spouts a one-liner over the enemy's dead body. It's just a couple of guys punching each other in a back alley. This is probably how most fights actually go down. Yeah, and it's just so funny, too, that during the fight, like, Nada just keeps yelling. He's like, put him on! Put on the glasses! And it's so funny from, like, an outsider's perspective if you think that... Like, if you were just someone watching this and not knowing what the glasses were, it would just be so funny to see the, these two grown men f- fist fighting to the death over putting on a pair of sunglasses. Uh, <laughs> one thing that I love, and I talked about this in The Gods Must Be Crazy, is taking just a random object and amplifying it to new heights. I yeah. really like that. I, I mean, like, and I said during that episode, like, an example would be Cast Away, which everyone knows. Uh, and I love that, just taking something like a pair of glasses and then b- bringing it to new heights. That's really imaginative. I really like that. Um, yeah. One thing that I mentioned at the beginning were, were like, unintentionally, I don't know if it's, un- like, intentionally funny or not. Like, there's one cut where Nada is looking at the church with binoculars yeah from like across the street which is already funny and and he's doing so in the daytime and then like it just cuts to nighttime and he's still just staring at the church (laughs) through the binoculars and what's implied there is he's been there for 12 hours no that was good too i think that was deliberately funny the the movie like we we talked about how it's uncanny when they put these glasses on. This movie doesn't have an uncanny feel, but it, it definitely has a distinct cult film in the sense that it's unique. Mm-hmm. And there's little there's little touches like that that make it so. Um, one of the things that there's and there's and there's more political commentary that we didn't even touch on. There's actually a lot in this film. They even they talk about global warming for a sec. They say mm-hmm. that they're they're turning the atmosphere into theirs uh, to suit the invasion. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a nice little instance that makes me think where they're in the spaceport and the security guards on deck say, we just got to report the, uh, the, the rebels are, are done for. We did it guys. We wiped them out. Yeah. And, and that to me was really like meant to, and because they look like humans to me, that was really supposed to be like a look at, I don't know, not necessarily American 
like imperialism but just war in general where it's like our side is winning and that's great Um, yeah might is right yeah exactly um and i think that was meant to be sort of a self-reflective moment it was and it was a deceptively small moment in the film but it was it was there are tons of those there's there's a lot in this movie i I said this movie is straightforward but that that's kind of a boon for the film because things can happen in a way that you can have these uh little touches in the film and it doesn't impede the pacing or the plot or anything like that Mm -hmm. what did you think about the uh the end of the movie i love the end of the movie so at the end of the movie frank and nada are making their way through the cable station, blowing away some people, aliens, uh, and not blowing away others. This was one of my biggest betrayals when I saw this in the fir- for the first time. So they catch up with Holly. And of course, mm-hmm. their plan is to head to the roof to, tra- to take down the communications tower to save humanity. I Probably my biggest moment, one of my biggest moments of shock ever in the film is when Nada heads upstairs and Holly pulls out the gun. And Frank, and she shoots Frank. Yeah, and R. she R. and she does it in such and it's done in such an offhand way. We just see him turn his head, and then we hear a gunshot. That mo- that moment shocked me. I could not believe they killed my boy Frank like this. I was livid in the movie theater when we saw this in the park theater. Um, but so then um, at the end of the film, um, and I at the end of the film, uh, he makes his way to the top hall. He says, "You need to put put the gun down. You can come with me. You don't have to." go down this way Mm -hmm. uh he drops his gun but of course in the classic action movie a move he's got one up his sleeve literally yeah uh, pulls it out shoots holly and then he starts shooting down the tower there's some helicopters there that take him down um and in one of the class and one of the great shots of the movie as he lies there dying and he sees their tower explode he puts up like a half-hearted middle finger uh (laughs) and that you know it's 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 just the it's the it's the candle on the cake for this one. Oh, I what I really like is the aftermath of that. Yes, so, and and the, I was going. Di- oh, sorry, go ahead. Okay, um, the dish explodes, and then you just get. And I wish there were more because they're so good. You just get um, shots of people then seeing the aliens now because they are unmasked. Yeah, and, like they're at the bar and one dude's watching the TV and he's an alien and then everyone kind of looks at him. There's uh the broadcast, the news anchors. I think at one point, one of the production crew, after they're revealed to be aliens to everybody, he's like, you look like fucking shit. And <laughs> yes. to them. And they're like, what? what? What's going on? <laughs> also in the bar scene, I want to talk about it quickly because it was just a funny little haha jab. Um, George Romero has Siskel and Ebert as aliens. He does. It's not explicitly Siskel and Ebert. It's Siskel and Ebert, though, right? That's what I thought. Like even when I barely knew who they were, I was like, "Is this supposed to be Siskel and Ebert?" It's Siskel and Ebert as aliens, and they're like, and Siskel is saying, "You know, these filmmakers like George Romero and John Carpenter, the the violence is so over the top. We need somebody <laughs> to stop them." And you know what, John? You maybe went over the line on this one. Okay, you can talk no, that shit was about base. You can talk. You can talk shit about Gene. Uh, you don't. You don't badmouth Bobby Ebert like that. You just don't. Okay. And then he there's is a like, king. oh, sorry. Um, but no, he, he he was based on that one. He no, he wasn't. He, he was. was not. He was not. It was a funny moment though. Um. See, they're just little stuff like that peppered throughout the film. 
that just keep it endlessly entertaining. Uh, and then the montage at the end of the film is great. The last shot of the film, which I think is funny, is like this lady riding this dude <laughs> in, a, in a hotel room. Uh, and she's watching TV at the same time. And she sees the character change, uh, the, the character on TV change into an alien. She looks down to the man she's copulating with, and he's like, what's wrong, baby? And, he, and, and he's totally naked. Uh, and that's the last shot of the film. And he's an alien, too. And he's, yeah, he's an alien. Yeah. Um, and that, I don't know. John Carpenter was onto something here. This movie is so endlessly funny. It's poignant. It's got sharp social commentary. It's never, it's never like... Um, you know, overbearing or forced. The act, the the action satire elements are seamlessly done. It's like the perfect way to end the movie, and it wraps it up in a nice bow. Yeah, I to- I I totally agree. I the- I I have some issues with it. I actually don't like it as much as you do. I feel. I like it because the aftermath. To me, the reason they don't show any big. Um, to me, then, this was part of the political commentary of the film, is that John Carpenter didn't show, like, a big revolution or anything like that. He just showed the reveal. Because from there, it's really up to the people to decide, like it is for us, what to do with this information. We can either decide to remain complacent and take our roles, or we can re- uh, revolt, rise up, and, you know, make a difference. Um, no, I wasn't talking about the end, like the ending of the movie. I was talking about the whole movie. Like there, there are some things in this movie that I that I dislike. Oh, okay. What did you dislike? Okay, so as I said, the Holly character, and right. I feel like some scenes, not necessarily like any specific one. Some scenes I feel do drag. Maybe that's because I've seen it now. Uh, five or six times i don't i don't really know or six or seven times i I, i'm not really sure but there are like times where it, it just seems kind of weird like maybe just how they paced it but like the whole scene where the police just come and kind of bulldoze over this the their little hippie commune and mm-hmm. then nada is just running around for a while and then he just kind of hops into some apartment, and they're like, "Did they start World War Three out there?" And I, I don't really know who the characters are. And then, I, it, it, there's like, there's other parts like that, like the whole thing with Holly is kind of weird, like where they're just driving around. It's sort of awkward to me. Mm-hmm. Not that it was like a comfortable situation for either of them, I'm sure, but just like watching it. And maybe it's just because I really don't like Holly's character, but just watch watching it, it just gets it gets kind of it it drags. Like it maybe it's just because the satire of parts is so vague, not vague, but so undermined that it seems weird. Like there are at least three firefights in this movie, and the la like during the last one, I'm it. It goes on for a while, and I'm just like, I've seen firefights now, and mm-hmm. this one isn't any more exciting or satirical than the last. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they need to have a firefight there, but it it happens three three times, I think, maybe four. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like, the big one was, like, 
when the you know hippie commune kind of gets bulldozed over and the cops are shooting or not shooting there but i mean I, I think they were and then the bank one and then uh the the last one and then when they get caught again when they're when holly comes into their little secret meeting which we didn't talk about there's another firefight there mm-hmm. um and and they just they don't become they're not any more exciting than the last ones like i said uh, where when I'm rewatching this now for seven, seven, eight time, who who number keeps rising? Um, I I'm just kind of like, okay, well, let's get this over with so we can get back to, you know, the political satire, the one-liners, because firefights to me it seems like they take up a large portion of the movie. I didn't mind as much simply because I thought it it was well choreographed. The uh, the firefight scenes were pretty exciting. And I and I'm one to tend to agree with that kind of deal where you can pad things out with these gunshot sequence and they don't really add much to the film. But given that I would consider this like a, a partly an action film, especially with the huge fight scene in the middle and all the firefights they have in this film, it really does not bother me because to me it's just well executed action. But I can totally see why that on a 7th or 8th viewing that it wouldn't be as good. The problem with you is that you've seen this movie too many damn times. Yeah. I could I could watch Citizen Kane 44 times and I would hate the shit out of that movie. <laughs> That's probably why I've seen... I've mo- The movie, and you can, you can take this to the bank, the movie that I've probably seen the most in my whole life, Toy Story 2, I don't even like that movie. <laughs> I've seen that movie maybe 100 times. Yeah, well, mine, mine would probably be one of the Star Wars. I'm not, I'm not sure which. New Hope, probably. Which one? New Hope. Which Star Wars is that? Uh the fourth one. Are you talking about Star Wars 1977? No, I don't know what that is. Um. Anyways, yeah, those kind of drag for me now, rewatching it. Um, but I, but I feel. I'm pretty sure the first time I watched this movie, though, I I wasn't as big of a fan as it of it as I am now. Uh, so I don't know. That just says something about the the action scenes. And you you did say that the, you think that there's no fat in this movie, and I do agree. But I think this movie might want a little fat, um, just for me, and because I've watched it so many times now, I'm kind of like craving. Like a few more sci-fi scenes and just a few more funny scenes with, you know, revealing the aliens and the positions that they could be in. There's, mm-hmm. so, I mean, there there are lots of funny. There's lots of funny stuff like, <laughs> like the lady and she's an alien and then she has her two human servants and she's talking to her human, or I get maids. Sorry, they're not servants. Um, modern day slaves talking and she's just talking to them about her friend and her Lamaze class or something that they give a shit at all and they're just like "Uh uh uh-huh (laughs) uh-huh that stuff is great all the bank scenes and then of course like the policemen are for the major large part the aliens as well which which i like um but i i wish there was a bit more hard-hitting satire even though there is lots i know i i just wish that there was a, a bit more now that I'm, i've been watching it so many times and for a movie to like 
to be truly good, in my opinion, is one movie that you can keep watching without wanting anything more. Oh, really? Well, every time I watch uh, Star Wars 77, I wish there was no movies after it because it's the only one you need to watch. So let me tell you that. <laughs> no, but you're... I, I can agree. Um, I thought you would... I thought you would... Um, I in, the, One thing that I forgot to mention, this is a very small thing, and I'm, and I'm sure you appreciate it, but Carpenter seems to be a fan of 50 science fiction. Because yeah. one of the things is that when you put the glasses on, it's not only in black and white, but they have like these little flying saucers that look like from they're from B movies. That was a nice yes. little touch. It was it was the kind of thing that uh, a, a science fiction f- filmmaker and and fan would really uh, would really strive to put in to uh, I don't know have noticed. That was just a small element um, left on the film that I didn't touch on, but. Overall, I really enjoyed this film more than you. Holy shit. What? I, uh, your audio just went so bad there. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna... What the hell? It sounds like your microphone is in your mouth. We're gonna ignore that moment where my microphone went wonky. Do you have anything left, do you have anything left to say about this film? I hope they showed it to Park Theater again. I hope they show it at Simplex again or ever because Did they uh, do that? But well I mean they play flashback film fest, they do classics. I don't know. I like going to see movies at the Cineplex. No no just to the park theater. Uh but I can only hear a guy yell put your hair down so many times before <laughs> before my film immersion is ruined. Uh I, no, but it's a good time. I was thinking we'll definitely do like a like an episode one day where we just shoot the shit and we just talk the whole time, not about a movie. And I do want to talk about the one time when we saw the room and these people were so pissed that this guy was talking that they tried to like get him kicked out of the theater. And And then they just left. That was so funny. But I just want to, I want to talk about that guy because he was, he was a king. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think, is there anything else I want to, talk about i mean there's some like there's some really nice cinematography too like in in that scene where they are tearing down uh the commune it's like shot almost like entirely in red mm-hmm. which i really like and the, and the first shot of the movie is probably my favorite shot it's, it's so nice but yeah the score is great it's not one that you would like listen to but it's like that classic 80s synth music that like yeah Every horror science fiction movie had like just this droning synth music to just accompany it, like Dawn of the Dead did, like Nightmare on Elm Street did, like The Thing did. I think um, Reanimator had that too. Of course, yeah. Well, well, when they weren't ripping off the Psycho theme, yeah. Well, you know what? If it's a good theme and it ain't broke, why fix it? That's true. How many bags are you giving this movie, Lucas? How many? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the question <laughs> uh, that I've just posed you. Yeah. Lord, forgive me. Okay. I've been a hypocrite now because I'm starting to enter that zone of the four bags, but I'm going to be giving this 8 out of 10. You know what? That's... Uh... 
that's it's a good thing that you're giving it four bags because I'm not. I'm gonna give this movie f- my third five bags. Damn. This is a classic. This is for the ages. Yeah, it's up there with Reanimator. Not probably not Dawn of the Dead level. If I have to, uh, if I have to expand upon it, it's a light five bags. Dawn of the Dead is a heavy five bags. Reanimator yeah. is also a light five bags. But this is a five bagger. You need to watch this. I don't really see any reason not to watch it. You can watch it by yourself. You can watch it with friends. You can even watch it with your mom until the last scene if you're that kind of person. Uh, and you're going to have a good time and you're going to think. Or otherwise, you're a corporate drone uh, and you should kill yourself for watching TV. If and you yeah, can, I... check if you have like a local hipster movie place. Because honestly, this was so fun watching with the crowd. It was a great time, you know. Cult movies—they're for the people. Mm-hmm. That's why they're—they're they're called cult movies because cults have people in them. <laughs> yeah, it's—it's yep. it's like it's like maths. All right, you just got to think about it a little bit. Excuse me. Anyway, here's the post section of the show. Um, what? <laughs> I had an idea. Okay. How would you feel, maybe not doing a month of it, but just sprinkling in, like, cop picks, like, cult of personality picks, like, movies that you and I both personally always reference, but aren't necessarily cult movies? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Like, doing, like, a 21 Jump Street, or The Other Guys. Saw The Other Guys uh, yesterday, or two days ago. That's a good movie, guys. Um, one of the underrated ones, I think. It's easy to dismiss it as a Will Ferrell comedy because Will Ferrell's in it and a lot of his movies suck ass. But this one is actually pretty good. I also saw Step Brothers yesterday. I think that movie gets better every time you watch it because <laughs> your standard... Every time you watch that movie, you lower your standards just a little bit more uh, to yeah. the point where this movie is a masterclass in filmmaking. <laughs> I, I still repeat in my head daily, Yano Sera. Um, also, like another one I was thinking of, maybe in December we could do Elf. That'll be a good one. It's not quite... Well, I guess if uh, there's any film that's a... I don't know. Is a, it like a cult movie? Like, it's It may just be a popular movie. It made a lot of money, I believe. The only other cult Christmas movie I can think of... There's that Santa Claus versus the Martians movie mm-hmm. that people say is terrible. Um, we already did Silent Night, Deadly Night. Unless you want to revisit part two. No, 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 no. No, I'm okay. You, you, uh, it, the Michael we, Keaton uh, Frosty? Was that Michael Keaton? That movie's not very good. And also, it's really <laughs> creepy. I don't... I, <laughs> I wish that movie didn't exist. We should do. Is it Michael Keaton? Yeah, nineteen ninety-eight. Jack Frost. And he becomes a snowman. Who bankrolled this movie? Who gave the funds for this? It's 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 incredible. Oh, you cut out. I think my favorite. What would you say is your favorite? Do you have a favorite Christmas film? You're cutting out a bit, but what is... Did you say, what's my favorite Christmas film? Yeah. 
I, Elf, I watch it every Christmas. Elf is a good one. I, I like... really like the original Grinch short, uh, as well as I really like uh, Rudolph. You know what? Um, a Christmas Story is arguably a cult film because it wasn't popular when it came out, but it became popular after it was aired annually on TNT and TBS uh, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So, so you know what? If we get enough, if we get enough good feedback about it, maybe we'll do that come Christmas time. There's also the horror movie Jack Frost that we could do. Um, wait, let me see. I didn't know that. That one's a definitely horror. a call movie. I remember what like watching bits and pieces of that years and years ago. I bet you that you know what come twenty ten years. People will look back on Krampus more fondly than they did when it came out. It's a fun little watch. Did you watch. see that? I saw that in theaters, and I've probably seen it at least three or four times since it came out five years ago. Watch it around Christmas I remember time. I went to a movie theater, and I forget what movie I was going to see, but then they just started playing Krampus. Yeah. And everyone was like, what the hell? <laughs> And they're like, uh, yeah, sorry, hey. we only, we only got Krampus. And you know what? They were in for the surprise of their life because they probably saw a better movie than whatever crap you were gonna see at the time. What were you gonna watch? Um, also, I I had an idea. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot. July, you're you are picking all of the movies for July. What? Yeah. Say again. You are picking all of the movies for July because the people behind the scenes, you know, listening, they don't know that this, but I have to pick all of the movies all the goddamn time. That's bullshit. Uh, do you want to count the ones you've picked? No, keep running your mouth. Let's see what happens. And you know what? July, it's all you, baby. Fine, July is going to be Matthew month. We're going to be reviewing Lucas films Lucas is Lucas hates. Um we're going to be reviewing shit like um Michael Fassbender Shame. I don't oh give a sh- I don't give a shit if it's not a cult movie. We're going to watch it. Okay, uh, I take it back. I still have to okay them. No, you lost that uh, privilege when you when you dared stand up to Big Dog. Okay. Damn it. It's over. Um, I was also thinking, uh, let's just talk about it on the air, because why not? I'll do what I want. Um, for June, so we are, we're doing Cannibal Holocaust next. Yes. Um, do you, you know, one, we're doing it. We're doing Samurai Clap after. No, that movie's so fucking bad. That is a good movie. That movie is getting the you know, second Luke, ten Luke, bags. Lucas tells me that I I watch I make him watch films that are that have sexual themes in it. This movie is softcore porno with the amount of sex scenes in it with this with this dumbass guy with long hair. He looks weird. Cause I'm an undercover cop. I just Frank is the only good thing to watch in this movie. Yeah, we're doing Samurai Cop after that. Um, and then should we finish off the uh, Of the Dead trilogy? Uh, well, it's not a trilogy. There's significantly more films than the three first three. Well, I consider it a trilogy because they all have, like, times in them, like Night, Day, and Dawn, and the others are Joker movies with um, 
the Mario Bros reunion of Dennis Hopper and Luigi Mario in their stupid little Land of the Dead movie. Um, well, that's not very nice of you to say, but yeah, we can do Day of the Dead. We might as well finish off the original trilogy. Land of the Dead came out, what, 20 years after? Yeah. So it's kind of so it's kind of removed from it anyway. Um, and then, you know what, after that we'll do uh, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. Do you actually want to do that for June? No. Oh, if you if listeners of the show, if you are interested, and this is mainly a reminder from Matt and me, but I'll include you in on this too. Second, I talked about this a while ago. Second Sight Films is releasing their box set of Dawn of the Dead. It is huge. It's beefy. huge. It's like a kilogram. It weighs a kilogram or something. It's massive. Um, it's going on sale on the 26th. If you live outside of the UK, you're going to have to, you know, get go for the runaround uh, getting it, which we all love. Uh, but if you're a fan of that movie, holy crap, it's pretty much like the definitive version of the movie. They really drained their balls on this release here. Yeah. They went all out. And Full I'm excited comment. for that. And Matt beat me. Oh my god. You know, it's it's a post bag section, we'll talk about it. Uh five seven records. I'm calling you out. For what? They made these NES eight bit cartridges of King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, a band Matthew and I love dearly. And we met them and they were so chill. And they came out with these NES cartridges back in was it back in 2019 yeah it was last year and they sold out before i even had a chance to know that they existed went on reddit on the king gizzard and the lizard wizard subreddit and then i heard about them went and checked they were sold out and i said damn it and i went on their facebook group and then they're like oh yeah new one's coming out real soon i was like okay great um, and I messaged them. I was like, oh, like, wh- when are you thinking? They're like, yeah, real soon. I was like, all right. I checked their Facebook group every day. No new news. They're making these eight-track copies of this Joker band. Okay? The OCs. Shout out to the OCs. Yeah. The original contents. And I'm thinking, okay, it's coming one of these days. It's coming one of these days. Okay. Keep checking. Months later, I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. And I buy a copy on Discogs, which, you know, I got it for a nice price, whatever. The other day, before work, as it fate would have it, I randomly thought, let's check my emails before I go to work. So I refresh my emails. And I get a bunch of emails from Bandcamp all the time. But I was like, you know what? Let's open up this Bandcamp one. And it was from 5-7 Records saying that they're releasing new NES cartridges. And I was like, oh shit. Well, Matthew needs to get one of these. So I call Matthew and I say, Matthew, get get one of these suckers. And then I check. And it's a version 2 with Infessor Rat's Nest on it now. And I want it so bad. I got gypped. And I'll never forget. Forgive. Five set five seven records. I'm calling you out. This is a this is really a uh, a lesson for Lucas because he learn he's gonna learn two things from this. One, don't ever trust online retailers. They have no idea what they're doing. 
they're lazy as hell. They'll charge you out the ass for shipping and they won't give you anything. It'll take forever. Just don't listen to them. Uh, the other thing is never back anything early because version 2 will always come out new and improved. Uh, Steve Jobs taught us that one. And uh, Luke, I can't believe as an iPhone owner that you forgot. Steve okay. Jobs was a druggie. Well, um, he was a pioneer. And yeah, he was a real pioneer when he got his friends to make all their shit. And he, he did... Um, and he was a nice man to his wife. And he was a good man. And he believed in medicine. He, lo- he loved medicine. So... That- <laughs> You need to cut this part. We can't talk shit about Steve Jobs. We're trying to get that Apple sponsorship. I told you. I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather die. Then get sponsored by Apple. We would get free AirPods. We would have so uh, much drift. Did you learn nothing? No, I, I learned a lot of things. What, what am I supposed to learn? You're just a bootlicker. <clears throat> Watch it. Okay. And tomorrow, Matthew and I, damn it, we're going to, well, we're going to go to all of the great uh, DVD stores in our town, and we're going to buy all many legal copies of movies. Yeah, we always buy legal copies of our film. We don't believe in piracy. Don't ever do it. Think right now, if you had pirated They Live, some poor universal exec would not be getting the royalties he needs to buy his next Rolls Royce. And that's com- and that's on you if you pirate a movie. All right. Have you ever seen that South Park episode where they're making fun of like Metallica and various other bands about people pirating their music? No, I haven't seen it. Uh, like the policemen catch the the boys pirating music, and then they like take them on tour to like <laughs> bands' houses, and they take them to like the guitarist of Metallica's house, and he's like sitting on his chair outside crying, and then the cop was like, "This man was planning on buying a a gold plated pool, but now because of pirating music, he'll have to wait a couple of weeks for it." And then, like, the boys are, like, crying. They're like, we'll never pirate music again. Oh, my God. We're so sorry. It's it's so funny. No, but seriously, guys, do not pirate movies. I'm not even fucking kidding right now. <laughs> I I would be upset if you guys pirate. Remember when this virus outbreak started and people were so appalled at... Um, you know, people who would buy up all the hand sanitizer to sell it at a profit. Yeah. Why? What do those people think about landlords? You know what? The landlord is um, the world's oldest profession. Some say. Oh, and... what's a profession? What service and good do they provide? <laughs> okay. Look. Okay. I know you're gonna give me the runaround here. And, you know, you can say whatever you want, but they're doing a service because somebody has to own the land. What and service? S- and somebody has to fix the sink. That's not a landlord's job. Did I say it was the landlord's job? Well, whose job is it then? It's the guy the landlord hires <laughs> to do it. Okay? So, I believe in... 
I believe in owning land and making other people pay for it at extreme <laughs> rates. And I'm not going to apologize for it. The Dead Kennedys have a good song about landlords. Well, how's it go? Fuck landlords? Is that it? <laughs> let's, let's lynch the landlords. There it is. There it is, boys. <laughs> Oh my god. god. Um yeah, anyways. We've been on this escape. This we've been on for an hour and twenty four minutes. I talked to the station manager. I said, Can we make the show as long as we want? And he said the right. podcast is the Wild West young Luke. I was like, sweet, I'll make him three hours. Oh, oh. <laughs> you know what? Okay. Fuck it. Five intros for this episode. All right, uh, slap them on and uh, see how long, see how well our uh, listenership goes down from that, and we'll we'll work. Our, li- our listeners are loyal; they would die for us. Yeah, um, yeah, they I, would. Yeah, may, mm, yeah, maybe. Listeners, if you're listening, add me on RuneScape and give me a million gold each. Please do not indulge Lucas's uh, video game addiction. He needs help, and nobody's giving it to him. Um, but I'm going to give it to him, and X is going to give it to him, too. Here's my quick review of Airplane, and then we're going to end the show. Okay. Um, it becomes numbing, the amount of jokes that they have. All right, have fun. Jokes after jokes after jokes after jokes. That movie is like a joke train. And the the best part about it is that, you know, why would you watch a comedy movie? The nice thing about Airplane is that it's the comedy movie and it just ditches the pretense of being anything except trying to make you laugh. You know that movie, pointed comedy movie where the characters fall out with each other and we have to wait until things get funny again? Nobody like uh, that. Office Space? Yeah, you know, like that's not what we want. So. Can can you guess what my favorite joke is in that movie? Um, <laughs> there's too many to get the jive joke. That one's good, but my favorite one is when they're trying to land the plane, and then the doctor comes in and says, "Hey, we're all wishing you good luck. We're really rooting on you guys." <laughs> that's and then he good. does that. W- Again, while they're like in the middle of landing the plane, and then after they land the plane, he comes in and says that again. And I seriously laugh for like a minute straight. I stopped watching the movie and was just laughing. <laughs> but you know what I hate about that movie? What? That stupid idiot character, I think his name was Jimmy, that just says stupid idiot shit the whole time he's on screen. And I. I hate him so dearly. Which kid? What, what are you talking about, man? At, at the, at the like communication center at the airport, and he just like is on screen, and he's like, oh, and he just says the dumbest things every time he's on screen. How do you not know who I'm talking about? In airplane. Yeah, and like there's a scene where like he unplugs the lights on the runway. And oh he's like, shit! <laughs> that. I love that guy. Do you? No, like, he's funny because, like, he comes in, and it's like the movie, like, acknowledges that he just, like, so dumb and unfunny. 
and he just I don't know there's <laughs> his character in that movie is surreal like you cannot believe that this is happening when you're watching it on screen I don't know I like I like airplane um yeah I I didn't like that character um in the same way I didn't like uh Garth in Wayne's World you like Wayne's World but you don't like airplane no I like both I just don't like the character that I don't I don't like dumb characters who just say stupid idiot shit the whole movie Look, you gotta have a character like that in the comedy movie. It's just nope, you don't. It's just the okay. name of the game. No, you don't. Anyways, uh, follow us on whatever. Uh, use code COP for twenty percent off your next order on Shit Crate. And uh, my brain is melting. <laughs> And you know what? Don't forget to uh, follow us on all the typical platforms, Spotify, Apple Music. You can hit us on the website, UMFM website, if you want. If you want to be that guy, don't be that guy, though. Um, and uh, you know what? Hey, we're always going to be here for you guys. Even when you don't want us to be. And that's... Hey, um, plug your other show. Hey, I'm plugging in Beyond the Panel. We're airing two Tuesdays at 530s. Uh, it, this week we're talking a John Carpenter comic. Actually, we're talking about Asylum by John Carpenter. I like, was supposed to be on that episode. Damn it! Well, you took too long. That was my idea. You robbed me of it. Well, Brian uh, told me about it, and I said okay, and I forgot that it was your idea, and I don't care. <laughs> so uh, chew on that, buddy. Laugh it up. Alright, are you ready to end the show now? I need some fucking sleep. One last thing before Matthew gets to sleep. Okay. And this is serious. I've changed my mind. Give me a million and a half gold if you add me on RuneScape, okay? Just... Don't give Lucas any money, please. I'm begging you. Don't give if him... you like that, if if you've been freeloading off of our show and not giving us money, give us money, okay? In either real life or IRL or NRL. There was an iCarly episode where they got in trouble because Sam asked the audience to send money, and you cannot legally do that. Well, there was an iCarly episode where fucking Fred was on it. What's your point? <laughs> I don't know how that changes anything I just said. I, I Shit, I guess you're right. Remember the episode of iCarly where who was like the weird guy who was like kind of, uh, you know, a little too into Sam and he was like rich or maybe, maybe he's into Carly. He was like rich or something. Oh, you mean that guy who says you'll rue the day? I don't remember his name. Wesley, I think. Yeah, and like he like. Oh, it was a fight where Carly was gonna fight, um, Victoria. Victoria or... Justice, and we were supposed to be convinced that Victoria Justice was a <laughs> UFC fighter when she weighs forty two pounds. <laughs> and then like Carly is like pretending to fight her, and then she just like tries killing her. It's so funny. 
iCarly, you know what? We'll do an iCarly episode. I don't give a damn. Well, can we do a Sweet Life of Zack and Cody episode? Because no, we tried to do that, sh- that no, you know. No, that show fucking sucks. I'll be honest what was, with you guys. What was that episode where... Um... Oh, shit. What's his name? What's the the uh, black guy's name? What's the black guy's name? Is that how you know him? The black guy? Well, that he's the only black guy on the show, so yeah. In iCarly? You mean the Jamaican donut no, no, guy? No, 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 on, on, on Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Oh, you mean Mr. Mosby? Yeah, I, I was, th- was going to say Moby, but that's not his name. Anyone, that episode where they do a flashback and it's like uh, weirdly racist. Yeah. Mr. Mosby shit. has like an afro. At one point, and he's like, I can dig it. Yeah, at one point recently, I think this was like about a year ago or something, Lucas and Caitlin convinced me to watch an episode of Zack Cody, even though I said no. And of course, the one episode we watch has some uh, racism in it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, what the fuck is this? And I was just on the air. Don't watch that show, man. He, he was like, free pizza? I can dig it. I can dig it. Yeah, woohoo! And he, had, he was like picking his afro. And it was like the weirdest, just like yeah, and he <laughs> casual had... racism in a kids show. I miss casual racism. It's it's kind of dying out. You either get explicit racism or no racism. There's there's an art in the subtle racism or the casual racism because you laugh, and then you think, are you supposed to laugh? But you laugh regardless, and that's the beauty of it. I watched like a typical raunchy comedy the other day and I just went through a checklist of like the epic raunchy comedy jokes of there's like that weird homophobia, like homophobic joke where they say gay people are weird or rapists or something. (laughs) And then there's kind of like that casual transphobic joke. And then there's like that casual, you know, uh, racist joke where maybe they say the N word or something and it's really awesome uh and then there's like a joke near the end where you're gonna get like a ooh, a nazi joke or a you know a jew joke nothing um, nothing like making fun of jewish people and then you know they they smoke weed or something or and women in the movie that's too far if they when they trade as you know sexual objects and you know they're all slutty and you see some boobies, but you never see a PP because that would be gay. Gross, uh, awesome. capital gross. I don't want to see PPs. I'm a straight guy. I like boobies. Oh yeah. Anyways, I think the show has gone on too long. Yeah, well then shut up. Okay, I'm done. All right, it's my time to shine. Okay, uh... just do the outro, please. Please. Say please. Please. All right. Have a good one. All right. See you later.